BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Wow, a lot of news going on here today. In Ukraine, I don't know if you've been noticing, but an awful lot of the reports, the reporters have been in Lviv, which is like the city way over on the, on the west side of Ukraine, over by Poland. And uh, the Russians started bombing there. They killed seven people and uh, injured 11. And in Mariupol, the... Ukrainian soldiers are saying, no, we will fight to the last man. We will die for our country. This country is uh, showing us what patriotism means. It's just remarkable. Also, just, uh, you know, kind of in the headlines and the fascinating news, March 29th, that was, what, two weeks ago, we now have, you know, we, we get the numbers of power generation state by state around the country. They just came in. And last March 29th, wind generated more electricity in the United States than coal or nuclear. That's pretty amazing. 19% of all the power generated in the United States, almost one-fifth, came from wind power. It's just amazing. Okay, we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, I want to get into the deadly reason Republicans are suckers for fake news. Also, Autocrats have to be prosecuted and convicted, says Ruth Ben-Ghiat. Will that happen in the United States? And how, how similar is Trump to autocrats that we're familiar with, other countries? We'll talk about that. Also, Rachel Laser's going to drop by. Rachel is with the group United, Americans United for Separation of Church and State. And there is a fascinating case What's really fascinating about it is that it's going to the Supreme Court in a couple of weeks. Fascinating case of this, of this high school coach who was demanding that his players come out on the 50-yard line and loudly pray for everybody who was watching the game. Is that a violation of the First Amendment separation of church and state? You know, the Supreme Court's going to weigh in on this. Will these guys succeed in turning America into a theocracy? We'll talk about that. But I want to start out. In addition to everything else I've mentioned, you know, from wind power to Ukraine, with uh, today's op-ed uh, uh, over at HartmanReport.com, uh, it's titled The Deadly Reason Republicans Are Suckers for Fake News. And, you know, over on Fox News, the, this was just last week, Tucker Carlson did a segment that not just implied, I mean, you know, his guest actually came right out and said COVID vaccines are more dangerous to you than getting COVID. Now, they've been selling this on Fox News for two years. And as a result, there have been multiple studies showing that Republicans are dying at a much higher rate than Democrats. Red states and red counties have much higher death rates, per capita death rates, than blue states and blue counties. Why is it that Republicans and conservatives are so primed to believe lies? What makes them so vulnerable to this? There was a recent study, there, there's actually been three recent studies about why Republicans believe fake news that have just been published like in the last two weeks. And the largest one, there's a link to it in, in my article over at HartmanReport.com, the largest one says that Republicans are as much as eight and a half times more likely to both believe and share fake or false news with others than are Democrats. And really, when you think about it, 
And I, you know, I, I actually, uh, I was talking to somebody on Twitter about this just about a half hour ago. I can't think of a Democratic equivalent to the Republican big lie. Maybe some of the conservatives or Republicans who I know listen to this program, uh, you know, want to call in and, and educate me. But, you know, you've got Republicans believing that COVID is not as bad as vaccines, which is a blatant lie. I, it, on the Democratic side, on the liberal side, on the progressive side, I don't see any parallel to that. There's no big, you know, health lie. What, organic salads are better for you than non? I mean, I can actually prove that. So, you know, where is, where is the, the, the disease big lie? I, the, the 2020 election big lie that Donald Trump is promoting in the Republican Party, I don't know of any equivalent of that on the Democratic side. You've got, you know, Kevin McCarthy now coming out and saying that uh, Russia wouldn't have invaded Ukraine if, if, uh, if Biden had just gotten military aid to Ukraine faster apparently forgetting that Trump held up military aid to Ukraine because he was trying to blackmail them into manufacturing dirt on Joe Biden. And then when, when Biden became president, the House of Representatives passed legislation giving military aid to Ukraine, and Republicans voted against it. Universally, they shot it down in the Senate. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm like struggling here. I can't come up with a Democrat, you know, a, a, a big lie, a piece of absolute BS or nonsense that Democrats believe. It seems like, you know, Democrats live in a reality-based world and Republicans by and large don't. What am I missing here? Well, actually, there's a good reason why Republicans believe this stuff and Democrats don't. There's actually two good reasons, and I lay those out in the article along with links to sources and things. The first is that Republicans, conservatives, tend to view society through the lens, George Lakoff uh, wrote about this extensively, through the lens of the strict father model. Father knows best. Daddy is in charge. He'll take care of everything. And so if, you're, if your worldview is strict father compared to the democratic or progressive worldview, which is that we're all in this together, the, Lakoff refers to it as the nurturing family worldview. If your worldview is strict father, then you believe what father says. So when Trump just makes up some lie, you say, okay, that's, you know, he's, and why do people do this? Why do they go for the strict father? Because it offers safety. Big daddy is going to protect us. So number one, you've got this, this strict father model, which just sets people up to be vulnerable to big lies. And then secondly, there's a whole lot more sources of conservative disinformation out there, particularly on the internet and social media, than there are liberal disinformation. I mean, you've got literally countries promoting right-wing memes, Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, you've got, and others, North Korea. You've got the, the, the whole Republican worldview, the conservative worldview, which is very me-centered, right? I mean, this is, this is kind of an adolescent worldview. I'm, I'm at the center of the universe. I'm the most important person in the world. This is the, the conservative message. They call it rugged individualism. But really what it means is selfishness is a virtue, which, by the way, is a quote from Ayn Rand. And that, again, putting the individual above everybody else, I mean, that's the basic message of advertising. I'm telling you, know, I, I, I was CEO of two different ad agencies back in the day. I built a fairly substantial ad agency in Atlanta. We, we had you know, a whole bunch of Fortune 500 clients. And I can tell you, I used to teach advertising and marketing for the American Marketing Centers. Traveled literally all over the world teaching this. Used to do it for American Express, used to do it for uh, you know, American Airlines, for Carnival Cruises, in addition to you know, the company that, uh, you know, that I was teaching for. This was back in the 80s. And I can tell you, the single most important message to convey in an ad is this. You are the most important person in the world, and our product will give you what you want. And so, so if that's what, you know, how advertising works, 
then it would make perfect sense that, uh, particularly since advertising is tax deductible, anything that increases corporate profits is tax deductible, that you would have the tobacco industry coming up with back in the 80s and 90s, smokers' rights groups. The, the Tea Party was started by the, by the tobacco lobby. That the fossil fuel industry would organize climate denial uh, uh, think tanks and websites and public relations efforts and would pay off Republican politicians. You can't find a, a Republican politician who acknowledges climate change and wants to do something about it. That the weapons industry would funnel millions of dollars into groups like the NRA to promote the sale of their products, no matter how many people die. That you know, right-wing organizations would be promoting lies about COVID in the 2020 election. So there's just a whole lot more of it out there. Which brings us to the, to the ultimate question, which is, what do we do about this? And, you know, I, I, the, the things that I can come up with, pushing back with real information to family and friends, using the parental control on your elderly parents' TV to block Fox News, sharing progressive media websites and, and progressive media like this program and other good progressive programs far and wide, and doing everything we can to elect politicians who actually tell the truth and hold democracy as a higher value than just political power. Now, maybe I'm losing, missing something here. Uh, you know, if, you, if you've got any other ideas or suggestions, I'd love to hear them. How do we push back against all these lies that are believed by friends, neighbors, colleagues? How do we do that effectively? I mean, this is, frankly, democracy's on the line. And how do we move forward in a world where so much of our media is just overwhelmingly funded by these right-wing sources? Lowell in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Lowell, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. I would pose that Democrats are also susceptible to big lies as well. Just on another show on Free Speech TV, they were saying that Ralph Nader cost Al Gore the election in 2000. Okay, Ralph Nader got 91,000 votes in Florida. Al Gore lost by 537 votes. Ralph and I have discussed this on the air on this program on, on more than one occasion. And his argument is that his voters wouldn't have voted for Al Gore. Do you really think that there aren't 537 Nader voters in Florida who, if Nader had done what David Cobb did four years later when he became the Green Party candidate and said, I'm not going to put my name on the ballot in any of the swing states, that if Ralph Nader had done that same thing, do you think that 537 more people would have voted for Al Gore? Well, but you showed that after doing a statewide recount that Al Gore won by any statewide recount method. Well, I didn't show that. The New York Times showed that. And I agree with right, you, right. But, but, but most people don't know that. Right, but that's repeating a lie. No, no, wait a minute. What's the lie? The lie is that Ralph Nader cost Al Gore the election. I think he did. How can you say uh, he did? Well, but uh, I'm not saying that uh, Ralph I mean, Nader was Times some you know pernicious evil force or anything like that. I you know I think that you know he shouldn't he should not have put his name on the ballot in swing states, but because he had no chance of becoming president anyway. So so why you know why throw the election to George W. Bush and deliver you know two deadly wars that we got lied into and everything else and and the and the privatization of Medicare. I mean, look at the stuff that Bush did. Well, I, I don't well, see a big lie here that Democrats are believing. I, I get it, the Republicans. I mean, you know, Republicans believe the big lie that, that the Supreme Court didn't hand the White House to George W. Bush or that, or that, you know, Bush actually won those 537 votes. Right, but the New York Times did a statewide recount and proved that Al Gore would have won by any Correct. statewide recount method. Right, but that came out a year so later. So, therefore, therefore... Oh, therefore, Ralph cost. Nader didn't cost him the election because he actually won it? Yes. Tell that to President Gore. Well, but the lie that gets repeated is that, you know, Ralph Nader cost Gore the election. Well, I think that's a truth. I think that, you know, it's a truth in the context of the Supreme Court stopping the recount because the New York Times doing a recount is not going to change an election. The Florida Supreme Court had actually ordered a statewide recount. Because originally Gore this, sued, you know, for a recount in just three counties. And the Supreme Court said, no, right, we're going to recount this, the whole damn state. And that got stopped by the U.S. Supreme Court, which has never happened before in history. Right. And, and that's the, the problem with moderates, is they always ask for far too little. 
and don't even get that. I'm with you on that, Lowell. I'm with you on that. I'm I'm still not seeing a big lie that Democrats believe, but but I get it. You know, I you know we can. This is a nuanced topic, they, and they hate Ralph Nader, but they love George W. Bush now. I don't think that's true. I mean, that's the. That's I our, love Ralph Nader. <laughs> Ralph Nader wrote the foreword to my book on Monopoly. I mean, he's he's, he's one of my heroes, even though his being on the ballot in Florida hurt. Lowell, I got to run, but thanks for the call. We'll be right back. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So I'm still trying to figure out, is there a big lie that Democrats are believing? Do you know, a, a caller just a minute ago was saying, well, you know, the big lie that Al Gore lost Florida because of Ralph Nader. Well, I don't think that's a big lie. I, I think that's one interpretation of a whole bunch of nuanced data. But anyway, Ruth Ben-Ghiat is an absolute expert on autocracy and on strongmen. In fact, she wrote a book titled Strong Men, Mussolini to the Present which is just a brilliant book. I read her book when I was writing my book on oligarchy, The Hidden History of American Oligarchy, which is kind of on the same topic. And she just did this extraordinary interview that was uh, posted over at Politico, where she was talking about uh, Trump, and she had predicted before the election of 2020 that when he lost, he would not leave quietly. And when they asked her about her prediction, she said, uh, he's an authoritarian. They can't leave office. They don't have good endings, and they don't leave properly. It's like, you know, Trump is like a different kind of animal from a normal politician. We've never had an authoritarian, you know, a would-be dictator in the White House in the United States. It's never happened before. And it wouldn't have happened this time if it wasn't for help from Russia and help from Paul Manafort, whose job he worked for the you know Russian oligarchs. His job was to install Russian toadies around the world. He did it in, in uh, I believe, Kyrgyzstan. He certainly did it in Ukraine. And then he did. He came to the United States. He worked on Trump's campaign. He ran Trump's campaign for free. This is a guy who doesn't do anything for free. He took like eleven million dollars from Yanukovych in Ukraine, the, you know, Putin's toady there. So anyway, we've got this brand new animal here, this uh, different kind of cat, as they say. She says, psychologically, the big lie was very important because it prevented his propagandized followers from having to reckon with the fact that he lost. It maintains him as their hero, as the winner, as the invincible Trump. And then, of course, it makes him the victim. And this is one of the keys to autocrats around the world. Hitler, you know, portrayed himself and Germany as the victim. Mussolini portrayed himself and Italy as the victim. This is a common characteristic with these guys. And she talks about Berlusconi, the same thing in Italy. So how do you deal with this? How do you burst the bubble of autocrats who are claiming victimhood and are, you know, proclaiming that they actually won and all that kind of thing? Well, it's pretty straightforward. You convict them in a court. You prove that they are liars. You prove that they are losers. And that, I think, is in the court of public opinion as well as an actual physical court. So physical court, paging Merrick Garland. Court of public opinion, 
stick around, you know, in, in April, May, maybe even June. We'll see. I, I really, uh, nobody has ever said this out loud, but my personal guess is that the January 6th committee is waiting for the war in Ukraine to resolve itself and no longer be consuming our headlines daily. But when they start these public hearings, that's going to be the end of Donald Trump, in my opinion. Nate, during the break, came up with two big lies the Democrats believe. I thought that was fascinating. Number one, that it was good white people who ended slavery because history is all about, you know, white people telling the story of white people throughout history. And in fact, one of the major forces that ended slavery, arguably the major force, was black resistance for hundreds of years. So that's one big lie that Democrats believe. Nate is our video guy, video producer, who does all the, you know, if you're watching us on TV or YouTube, everything you see is, is coming through Nate's fingers. And uh, the other one was that the civil rights movement of the 60s, well, of the, you know, of the first half, first two-thirds of the 20th century, was entirely nonviolent. And, in fact, A, it wasn't, and B, everybody wasn't just preaching nonviolence and kumbaya and let's all hold hands and all that kind of stuff. There was some serious resistance in there. So anyhow, the, those are interesting ones. But let's pick up your phone calls. Uh, you know, a lot of different things on the table here we can discuss. Malcolm in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. Hey, Malcolm, what's up? Yes, Tom, Tom. I have to answer your question in regards to Trump. I just think right now we're at a very dark point in our society where people are living in two separate forms of reality. Yep. So where we watched what happened on January 6th and just that quick the media with the help of a few politicians, we're able to turn it around and say it was just a regular day in D.C., you know, with tourists keeping I, Malcolm, line. i got to add to this. On MSNBC, I guess it was Morning Joe, he just kind of threw out this statistic that 57% of Republicans believe that what happened on January 6th was a patriotic endeavor as opposed to a crime. Right. And so right now, the fact that the GOP has been able to overturn, not even overturn, but just create so many voting laws. They know by the numbers what it's going to take to win the White House and a lot of these Senate and House seats. And unless we actually pass some bills or some type of law to overturn it, the consequences and repercussions of that are going to be felt for, for many decades to come. Yeah. I'm with you, Malcolm. I'm with you. I, you know, I think we've got we've got some serious serious challenges here. Thank you very much for that, Kofi in Seattle. Hey, Kofi, what's up? Hey, Tom, how are you? I'm well. What's up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I wouldn't call this a big lie, but I think the Democrats have made a big mistake in the way that we have, we engage voters. That um, we basically reduce everything down to this transactional idea that if we don't pass this particular package that uh, voters are justified in staying home and the punditry class the left-wing punditry class that appears on cnn and msbc they perpetuate this idea such that i've i've never heard anybody say why don't you just stay home what am i missing not 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 that you should stay home that you are that Democrats are somehow Democratic voters are somehow justified in staying home. It's offered as a rationale. For example, when when we didn't get the public option in 2010, the Democrats were blank, were blamed for that. And people stayed home during the census year election. And people like Blanche Lincoln and Mike Price and all these other people lost their seats, and the and the, the Democrats lost the Senate. I'm not saying people. I'm not saying that Democratic politicians or pundits are telling people to stay home. I'm saying that they use it as a rationale. I get that. But in the 2010 election, Kofi, I mean, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but my recollection is that there wasn't a drop off that was out of the norm. I think the drop off was just the normal drop off you see in in uh, in the non-presidential year elections. Yeah, but there was so much to fight for, Tom. This yeah. was a no, I agree. It was a very important election. I'm, I'm totally with you. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that, you know, your most highly motivated voters are the ones who typically show up in those midterm elections. And with a black guy in the White House and a Democrat, the most highly motivated voters in that election were pissed off Republicans and racist Republicans. But, but, but we have 
there are always bigger issues, Tom. Right sure. now, dem- democracy, pre- preserving democracy, making sure our courts don't turn into this sort of an extension of the the the, uh, the uh, legislative branch. These are big issues, and we don't talk to our voters. We don't talk to progressive voters about these bigger issues. Instead, we boil it down to this transactional thing where we, if you come vote for us, we will pass this bill, this bill, and we actually name the bills, and that's fine. But sometimes there are bigger ideas, and while I think Republican ideals odious and the things they say that they're to their voters are odious they do basically train their voters to think the 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 government is not here to do anything good for me that there are bigger ideas that i need to focus my mind on and vote on that basis yeah no you're right kofi i mean they they have got average voters thinking as if they were billionaires we need to keep taxes down and people making over four hundred thousand dollars a year uh we need to deregulate the fossil fuel industry um, I, I, I got it. Uh, Kofi, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Scott in Joliet, Illinois. Hey, Scott, what's up? Hey, Tom. Um, the caller before uh, with Ralph Nader mm-hmm. and, uh, and Al Gore, the way it, it reminds me of uh, the Jill Stein and Hillary Clinton uh, argument that, that gets made. And I think that the, way, the best way to, to describe... Um, was there an analog, Scott? I don't think there was any one state where Jill Stein got more votes than the election was decided by. Was there? Yeah, I think that that that, that when that I would have swung the election. Up, the um, that the if you added Jill Stein's votes to uh, Clinton's in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, Hillary Clinton would have won. Okay. If you added every vote. Now, yeah. obviously, every vote isn't going to. But the point is, my, my main point is on all these things is that if you look at a bunch of factors going into a, the win or loss of a Democratic candidate, there's no one group that can point to the other and say it was definitively your fault. Right. Like the, the Jill Stein crowd often likes to point to Hillary Clinton and say you were a bad candidate. You know, you, 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 you were supporters, you ran a bad candidate. But and and likewise, there's people that point to the the Green Party supporters and the 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 people that refuse to um, vote for the mainstream Democratic candidate, and they say, well, it's your fault. But you know, the real politic of the situation is is that for anybody that thinks that you're going to not have one of these two mainstream candidates win, is handing the election over to the to the one that has the momentum. And I don't see how um, any any. Uh, liberal or progressive person can really argue with that fact. I yeah. just, I, this, is, this was my point. Okay. Well, well, you're bringing some nuance to it, but I get it. Scott, thank you. Uh, Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, not too much, Tom. Hey, this gives me an opportunity to apologize for my, my, my previous calls. Look, the um, war is like a tornado hitting your house. They don't want to hear from a caller. They want to hear from a meteorologist if it's a tornado threat, and they want to hear from generals and stuff if it's a war threat. I only do it because of what you're talking about. The, the Republican Party is not, um, you know, they're, they, it's not that they don't like the truth. They are completely phobic about the truth. And we've seen this in other countries like Eritrea. We've seen it in North Korea. And now I think it's, it's going to Russia as well with Vladimir Putin. Look, I, I heard somebody tying himself in the knots over this nuclear topic. All right, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Look, there's nothing we can do. Because in Vladimir Putin's mind, he is nuking his own country. And if we do anything, then we are nuking him. All right. And he has to have this false. They have to have this fake reality. Kim Jong-un has to believe South Korea is part of North Korea. All right. And he has to impart that to his people. It's like, Tom, it's like if if you went to an, uh, an asylum and there was a person there in a hospital gown and they said you were a lizard person. And if they cut off your arm, it would grow back. You would actually have compassion for that person because you're in a hospital gown, Tom. They're harmless. You might even actually want to give them a hug, okay? But now we're talking about 70 million people. Or what if that you go back right. the next day and that right. person's got a sword? So what do you do about it, Dave? Well, there's really not much we can do. All right, if you're living in North Korea, I would say follow what they do. And if you're living in in Eritrea, yeah, but we're living in the United States to, right now. How how do we deal with the, with these Republican lies? 
Okay, what you have to do is you have to believe your own eyes and your own senses. All right, that's all a person can do in this situation. Live in, live in the live in the truth-based uh, or the reality-based world. I get it. Dave, thank you. The deadly reasons Republicans are suckers for fake news. Autocrats need to be prosecuted and convicted. What's going on in Ukraine? Uh, what's happening with wind power, for that matter? We'll get back to your calls in just a moment. Stick around. And is there a big lie that Democrats are believing that is analogous to some of the Republican big lies? The Democrats exclusively, not our entire society. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, Kenyatta, what's on your mind today? Well, Tom, you know, there are some big lies that are not peculiar to either uh, party. And one of them relates to the very, very lucid comments that Nate made regarding slavery and civil rights and so forth. However, an even bigger lie, the parent of that lie, is that slavery somehow does not exist in the United States. In fact, slavery, and I know you know this, is legal in the United States. The 13th Amendment. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. And oddly enough, when you talk slavery, you're talking black people in the United States. Sure. Oddly enough, the majority of people that are incarcerated or duly convicted in the United States, guess what? They're black people. Are you sure that the majority nationwide is black of imprisoned the people? Majority of, I know the, in some states that's of, very much the case, but I didn't think that was the case nationwide. Nationally, that is the case, Tom, when you average it out. Yeah, wow. it is. Wow. Now, as you know, and I always acquiesce to this, depending on how you torture them, statistics will always confess. Sure, but, sure. <laughs> so, but, so, uh, but, that's, over, yeah. but that's, as you pointed out when you first started, Kenyatta, that, that's a big lie that is universally believed, or at least universally yeah. believed by white people. Um, uh, is, there, is there one that is believed exclusively by Democrats, the way that Republicans exclusively believe that, you know, vaccines are worse than COVID or that, um, you know, Donald Trump actually won in 2020? I don't. I'm missing. You know, I, I really can't, can't find one. You know, it's a struggle. You know, and I, yeah, and and I and I, I I can't either because there's so many. Uh, there's a kind of this nebula of lies that that are believed by, uh, as you mentioned, all parties. Yeah. And so it's kind of hard for me to say that one party is is uh, you know more uh, subject to this than the other, but I do know that we seem to have a problem with the truth in this country. And, yeah. and, and, and extending this a bit further, Tom, I think this is going to play out in what we're, we're dealing with with Ukraine. The United States is not looking downrange in this situation. Tom, I guarantee you, 
come the fall, there are going to be shortages in this country of staple items that are going to freak people out. Including food. And it's going... This is exactly what I'm talking about. And lastly, let me say anecdotally, somewhat related to the Ukraine-Russian situation, Tom. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this there is a scenario, a tactical scenario, or a strategic scenario, if you will, where the United States is actually attacked, and this has been, been, been uh, planned on war games, actually attacked with nuclear weapons and does not respond despite what's uh, the mutual assured destruction, what people believe, right. does not respond with a nuclear strike. Huh. I'll talk to you more about yeah, it. Yeah, I'd like uh, to know, know about that one. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it. I, I'm half expecting that if Putin's back is to the wall, he's going to use nukes to take out Kiev. I, that's why I think he pulled all his, all his troops out of there. Um, and, I'm, and I just don't know. I, have, I don't have any idea how the U.S. should respond to that or the world. You know, it's just it's a tough one. Kenyatta, I got to run. Thank you for the call. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's in your mind? Yeah, hey, Tom. Yeah, I know the founding of our country, the qualifications to become president was you had to be over 35. You had to be uh, born on American soil. And you had to be white and, and male. Right. And then nothing else. Nothing about... Uh, uh, any disabilities or anything like that, right. which in some cases shouldn't make a difference, like with FDR. But it was still kept a secret. Mm -hmm. And we still suffer from fear that people will find out there are disabilities. Um, Trump should have never been elected because he's got serious mental, mental problems. But there is no test, psychological test. There's no background, there's no, uh, background security test. He would have never been allowed to be near uh, an atomic bomb if he was a lower-level official. Well, for, for that um, matter, his son-in-law uh, couldn't pass a security uh, clearance. And, and in right. fact, they, they said he was conflicted in a whole bunch of different ways, particularly his involvement in the Middle East, which just gave him $2 billion for the work that he did on their behalf. And, uh, and Trump gave him mm -hmm. the security clearance anyway. It's, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, you know, back in the Revolution times, if they said, uh, if someone said, well, I'm in favor of becoming a king, should that have been a uh, qualification or something? I, I think that we're too afraid. You know, I suffer from depression. Millions of people suffer from depression, and it shouldn't be some deep-seated secret. We get to find out about every little polyp in someone's co uh, some president's colon, but we don't find out about what's going on in their head. Yeah, you know, Lincoln suffered should... from depression severely. Right. Right. Of course, but, of course and, running the Civil War might do that to you. Yeah, right. But that's not necessarily a bad qualification. No, I, I, think, I think it enhances, I think it enhances uh, empathy. Bill, I've got to move along, but thank yeah. you for the call. Uh, John in Chicago. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? I, I want to talk about the Supreme Court. I think that it's, it. a, I think it's a, um, a subtext that's underlying everything. I think that we should be getting really excited about voting because that's going to be the only say that we have. Over and over, I mean, what is happening is that the um, legislative agenda that we want to enact is being killed by things like the filibuster, and essentially Congress is becoming something of a do-nothing institution, and all of the major legislative action is happening in the Supreme Court. But they come up with all of their decisions in one well, swoop, and people don't have time to digest it. They can only digest right. a certain amount of information at a time. Yeah, they're doing a pile things of this on the stuff EPA. coming this summer in June. Yeah, they're doing things on the EPA. They're doing things on guns. They're, they're, there's a chance that they could get rid of states' um, ability to control and regulate guns. There's, you know, and of course Roe versus Wade. But and I mean, religion. everybody's focused on one thing. But yep. there is a total thing going on where the Republican agenda that they cannot get through through. Um, through democracy, they're trying to get through through the courts. I agree, and I don't think I enough attention is being paid to that. I'm, I, I'm absolutely with you, John. And I would add that the reason why you've got you know Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema and every single Republican in the United States Senate on the take 
from big pharma, from the fossil fuel industry, from the banking industry, from the insurance industry, is because the Supreme Court, in their Citizens United decision in particular, although there are ones that preceded that as well, because the Supreme Court legalized political bribery. And so, surprise, surprise, we've got a bunch of bribed politicians. And that's a crisis, frankly, for democracy as well. I'm with you. Thank you very much for that. Catherine in Arlington, Washington. Hey, Catherine, what's up? Hi, Tom. Thanks very much for taking my call. Sure. And I just want to say that I kind of disagree with um, what you stated regarding Ralph Nader, um, um, you know, taking away, making it so that Al Gore lost the election. Um, because personally, I think, and, and that you didn't think, he sh you thought he should, like, just um, not run in, in a swing state. Which but is I what think David our biggest Cobb problem, did. our whole government system is the two-party two system, mm -hmm. and we've got to do whatever we can to get rid of that. Um, and that's the, that's the only way for well, That's going to require a constitutional parties. amendment, Catherine. What's that? That's going to require a constitutional amendment. We'll have to replace our political system with a parlamentary system. That's a, well, a or there's not really that, of voting uh, in every state. I, I don't think it requires a constitutional amendment because how we get people on, you know, into office isn't really defined in our constitution. Anyway, Actually, and that's a different subject. But, it is. Um, but the, the only way to grow that movement that the is for people people to step out and run at every level. Plus, at many states, there has to be somebody running at the state, you know, nationally in order for them to get ballot access. Um, so these two parties have done everything that they can to try to make it very difficult for um, other people's views, the, the minority of people's views, which I feel is actually the majority of people's views, mm -hmm. to get them represented. represented yeah, you're you're, you're right on that point that both the parties have, have used the system in every way they can to entrench their own power. But every right. country around the world in history that has had first-past-the-post winner-take-all elections has ended up a two-party state. It's just that's what ha that's what happens. Right. Um, if you that's want why I to think break we need out of to that, go to a proportional representation exactly. system through rank have, voting, right? So that everybody's views can be represented at some level. Right. And but the other thing I think happen. we need to do is stop <laughs> you know. electing these decrepit old politicians that seem to be, I call them Fonzies, they're afraid to say that they were wrong, and, um, and they're not representing uh, are you being ageist, that are Catherine? put forward the, 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 the needs of our children and our grandchildren. What's wrong with old people? They, they, they need, some, no, they need to retire. They need to go yeah. enjoy their grandchildren. Um, they need to get out of there. Well, they need to I, you know, if they're, if they're losing their faculties, and that appears to be the case with Diane Feinstein, I'm with you. But on the other hand, I think there's something to be said for experience. I really do, you know, speaking as an old guy myself, I really do think that wisdom is the, is the synthesis of knowledge and experience. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is by John Pavlovitz. It's titled, If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk, Finding a Faith That Makes Us Better Humans. This is from the introduction titled, You Had One Job. If you want a good laugh, Google the phrase, you had one job. The results are hilariously tragic parade of seemingly impossible fails, unfathomably poor planning, and face-palming, inducing human error. A piece of melted cheese on top of a fast food burger bun. The word stop misspelled on a street crossing. I keep to the right sign with its arrow facing left. A toilet lid inexplicably installed below the seat itself. It's strange stuff. Seeing these stupefying train wrecks and task execution tends to elicit two responses, usually making you feel a little bit better about yourself while simultaneously wanting to track down the culprits in an effort to understand how they managed to neglect the primary duty assigned to them. We begin to speculate. Were they temporarily distracted? Did they not properly comprehend the instructions? Did they feel as though someone above them in the chain of command dropped the ball? Were they just plain lazy? When people miss the point so spectacularly, we want to know how and why, because that kind of failure feels impossible from the outside. It seems unfathomable to get the main thing wrong, and seeing it happen sparks our curiosity. I imagine Jesus knows well the curiosity that comes with watching people give clear direction, lose their way. As a longtime Christian by aspiration, if not always in practice, 
I often envision an exasperated Jesus coming back and the first words out of his mouth to his followers as his feet hit the pavement being, you had one job, love. So what happened? I wonder what massive wave of excuses and rationalizations would come flooding from the mouths of the faithful multitude in front of him, how they might justify their mistreatment of the assailed humanity in their care, the verbal and theological gymnastics they'd attempt to avoid culpability for their own cruelty. Would they stridently recite him a verse from Leviticus? Would they blame the liberal media for morally corrupting America? Would they talk about people's wicked lifestyle choices? Would they argue that they were loving the sinners in, the, in their midst, but simply hating their sin? Would they frantically offer up the same platitudes and pair up back the same partisan talking points that they've gotten used to brandishing on social media and proffering in Sunday school classes? And if all else failed to convince him, would they quote Jesus to himself in a desperate Hail Mary effort to pass the buck to him for what they did or failed to do while supposedly standing up for him? And there, fully seen in the piercing gaze of the namesake of their very faith tradition, with all their justifications and excuses exhausted and only their fully exposed hearts left, would any of their responses be sufficient reasons for refusing to love? When that was the singular task and primary commandment that he left them responsible for tending to? In my less compassionate moments, I admit that I like to picture it not going well for them. I know it's far less than admirable, let alone Christ-like. But some days my heart strangely warms at the possibility of a few billion brimstone-breathing evangelists, sanctimonious conservative politicians, and plank-eyed judgmental Christian neighbors all having to explain themselves in a sanctified flop-swept moment they can't gaslight themselves out of, and they all get what they have coming to them. But my self-righteous revelry doesn't last long. The mirror calls me out as I remember what I think I know about Jesus, and that rescues me from full-blown, unabated hubris. I begin to wonder what my excuses might be, how I'd spin the enmity I manufacture here, what story I'd come up with for not doing the one task we both know compromises a disciple's job description. And if I really believe what I'm supposed to believe, are any of my justifications sufficient? If God is love, and if Jesus is the perfect expression of that love, and if I'm supposedly trying to follow that Jesus, how can I be so love impaired so frequently? How do I miss the singular point so consistently? It's not as if I didn't know what I was signing up for, like some lengthy online user agreement I blindly accept in haste, missing the bombshell fine print underneath. Having read the Gospels a few million times, give or take a few hundred thousand, I know the primary commandment is not something I need to excavate from cumbersome layers of foreign language translations and cultural mores of the time. Jesus himself clearly laid out the most important commandment for me and for everyone who's ever cracked open a Bible, and even most people who've never cracked open a Bible. And so we'd all understand what's being asked of us going in, so there would be no post-altar call buyer's remorse or deathbed claims of a sucker punch bait and switch. Loving God and neighbor and self is the elemental stuff of Christian prayers songs, t-shirts, and bumper stickers, and we know that. But as the master Morpheus said to protege Neo in the first and only truly great Matrix film, there is a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. Love is the path that Jesus laid out for us. The book John Pavlovitz's If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk, Finding a Faith That Makes Us Better Humans. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. 
So how goes that theocracy in the United States? <laughs> Seriously, there are people out there working to create and maintain one. And now there is a case going to the U.S. Supreme Court. On the line with us is Rachel Laser, the president and CEO of Americans United for Separation of Church and State, whose legal team is actually representing the uh, Bremerton School District. In this case, it's coming up. AU.org is Americans United's website. Rachel Laser is, her Twitter handle is Rachel K. Laser or at Americans United. Rachel, welcome to the program. Tell me about Joseph Kennedy. Thank you. Nice to be with you and your listeners. So this is a case about a football coach in a public school, that's important, Joe Kennedy, who violated the religious freedom of his students by pressuring them to pray with him at the 50-yard line immediately after games, right when the team huddle usually occurs, right at that 50-yard line. Uh, The school district tried to work with him to say, look, you can't do that. Right. You can't on official duty pressure students to pray with you. That's a a clear violation of the First Amendment of our Constitution. But we'd love to find a way for you to still pray just in a way that doesn't pressure students. And he flat out rejected their multiple overtures, said he only wanted to be able to pray in a way that students could join him and continued. And then he sued the school district. And, and it wasn't just that students could join him. It was the students must join him. Do I have that right? Well, that he was the coach well, of the team? There is uh, actually some psychologists wrote in about the constitution of the teenager psyche, right? And they said that coaches, as we all know and remember, play a super important role. They're role models. They're, uh, they can feel like parents. Students fear them. Um, you know, the court has written before about the pressure that can be applied on kids when, when other uh, students are joining in with teachers or coaches, mm-hmm. and there's an enormous peer and public pressure as well. So when you head to the 50-yard line directly following a game, right where the team huddle occurs, you are putting pressure on your students to join you there, right? right? They're expected to show up, and right. that's why they all did. Yeah. And, and the record shows, actually, that students' parents came forward and said, my student felt pressured to pray to play. And when the coach wasn't there praying, no students were. Now, this would just be a, a local story in Bremerton. What state is this in? Washington. This Bremerton, is Washington, Washington State, yeah. yeah. Um, this would just be a local Bremerton, Washington story were it not for the fact that a shadowy group of right-wing wannabe theocrats are pushing this to the U.S. Supreme Court. Tell us about that. It's remarkable. And the place to go is on the SCOTUS website. You can see who wrote to the court to express their support for the coach. And it is a who's who of extremists in this country. It's the drafter of the Texas abortion ban. It's John Eastman, the you know architect of the fake election. It's... Um, the groups that are anti-LGBTQ, anti-Muslim, anti-reproductive freedom, um, the DeVosses, and I mean, it's it's sort of every everyone who you would think would be there, uh, the the Holly and Ted Cruz's, and why? Because religious extremists and their lawmaker allies are using the coach actually as a pawn to advance an agenda to get the court to reinterpret our sacred concept of religious freedom to be something that gives favor to one particular type of religious observance over all others, which is flat out unconstitutional. So what's, what is the argument that they, that they are going to be making before the U.S. Supreme Court? What's the argument that you're going to be making in rebuttal to that? And how, yeah. how are you anticipating the court will receive this? <laughs> Let me start with the first part, which is a little bit easier. So, you know, he'll be arguing that he has a free exercise right to uh, to do this, but he's using false facts. And I, I really want to emphasize that. Look at any picture and it is evident that the story that the coach and his lawyers are telling is false. And the lower courts actually use that strong language. They called the the story that the coach is painting false and deceitful, Hmm. really strong language. That was a George W. Bush appointee, Ninth Circuit judge. So he's saying, I have a right to pray in a private and personal manner. But what's really happening, and actually I can hold up my picture, is this is the coach in in a with holding up a football helmet surrounded by students there's nothing private or personal about it so he'll try to make the argument that he has a free exercise right to to pray in a private and personal way and what we'll say back is actually the school district has a right 
to control the speech of teachers and coaches because they're when they're speaking on behalf of uh, the school. And clearly at a football game event for the school where which he you know repeatedly prayed at when he when a coach is praying at the 50 yard line immediately following games that's speaking for the school the school has a right to control that speech and there aren't first amendment exceptions but even if the court finds that this is a guy who's praying in a private way which would be alarming given the facts that the, there, there's a balancing test that takes place and what we're weighing against, you know, what he's declaring as his uh, blanket right, right, his uninhibited right uh, to free exercise of religion is the other part of the First Amendment, which is the Establishment Clause, which protects everybody's religious freedom in the way it works with the Free Exercise Clause. And it puts limits. It says, actually, the state cannot endorse a religion. You can't pray when you're a public official such that you would be compelling students to join you because that's a violation of their religious freedom. What about the Jewish student? What about the atheist student? What about the Christian student who believes that you shouldn't pray in an ostentatious matter, that Jesus said that? And right. so, in the sermon right, and so that's what we'll be arguing back. And I think I'm remembering correctly that back in the day, and this was, I mean, literally back in the 60s or thereabouts, that the Supreme Court in a similar case ruled that you can have in a public school a moment of silence, but to do virtually anything else is to endorse a religion, if, if not just, uh, you know, praying to a god being endorsing mon monotheism. I mean, do I, am I remembering that right? Yeah, basically there are decades starting from the 1960s of case law that have been supported by conservative and liberal justices alike that protect school children's religious freedom and that recognize that children are impressionable, that they are captive at school, they have to report to school, and that are very careful to protect their religious freedom. And if the court rules against the Bremerton School District, students K through 12 across this country could be forced to pray again in school. Mm -hmm. And parents need to be concerned because we think as parents that we get to control, you know, sort of the upbringing of our kids religiously, you know, and, and, yeah. and we would, it's alarming to think as parents that schools now are going to be able to pressure our students to practice a religion that's not our own. Very yeah. alarming. I, I remember, I mean, I, I was in elementary school in the 1950s, and uh, I remember a friend of mine who, who lived a couple of houses away from me, his name was Tom Stedman, and he was Jewish. And we had school prayer, you know, every morning. The, the, the principal would come on the PA and do this prayer, and the principal was really into Jesus, and the prayer had, you know, Jesus in it all the time. And I remember Tom telling me that uh, he was uncomfortable with that. I didn't you know, quite understand exactly why. I'm, I'm talking about like when I was nine years old. And, yeah. and um, but you know, you're saying that we're gonna go back to that. Yes, because if the court buys this false narrative and says that when a coach who's praying at the 50 yard line during the team huddle is praying privately, can't you imagine that teachers as students are entering their classroom could just be reading the Lord's prayer out loud privately and to themselves, right? It's the right. same false narrative. The and there we system. are again, back back where we were and what you described, Tom. Yeah, yeah, amazing stuff, amazing stuff. Well, Rachel, keep us up to date on it, okay? Thanks so much for having me on the show. And everybody go and join au.org. Amen. <laughs> Americans United for Separation of Church and State. au.org is the website. Rachel K. Laser or Americans United on Twitter. Rachel, thanks again for the great work you're doing. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Just to fill you in on some more of the news of the day, Alex Jones lost the Sandy Hook lawsuit, and you know where where the court said, "Sorry, Alex, you know you, you basically damaged these families, the Sandy Hook families, by claiming that they were crisis actors and they were lying to people and all this kind of stuff. You damaged these families, and therefore you have to pay them damages." Alex Jones offered to give each one of the families, I think it was $120,000, yeah, $120,000 each to the 13th plaintiffs. And they said, no, no, uh, we want more than that. We know that you're worth, you know, uh, millions and millions of dollars. And Jones, there were reports a few weeks ago that he was transferring the substantial, like multi-million dollar amounts 
out of his companies and uh, into who knows. So now that he's emptied his companies of all his money, and uh, you know whether it's in Panama or the Caymans, I mean, who knows, but now that he has done that, um, he is declaring bankruptcy. This is what the asbestos companies did after they poisoned my father. They declared bankruptcy so they wouldn't have to pay their bills. This is what the uh, Sackler family did with Purdue Pharma after they killed a couple hundred thousand or, or you know, got a couple hundred thousand Americans addicted in ways that led to their death or their uh, uh, disfigurement is the wrong word. The, you know, just you know, the, the long-term consequences of having been an opiate addict are serious. They're substantial. And what did they do? They declared bankruptcy. Um, this is, uh, you know, the tobacco companies were playing with the possibility of doing this back in the 90s. So just FYI, you know, this uh, noble guy who claims that he's the, the, the speaker of truth, declaring bankruptcy to get out of being accountable for his lies. We'll be back tomorrow, same bat time, same bat channel. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It does depend on you. So get out there, get active, tag your it. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. And let's all send some good vibes for peace around the world. It's certainly the season for it, isn't it? We'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.